At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. All right, so let me paint a picture for you. You're all dressed up. You got your best clothes on. In my case, I got my shirt from Burlington or TJ Maxx. You got the the table set. You've already told everyone who you want to be there to show up. And now after that, what do you do? You wait, right? And the hope is that people show up, right? Think about some of our family members. You know what I'm saying. You don't know if they're going to show. Like, you won't believe it until they're in that seat in your home. They got their plate because they're flakier than Frosted Flakes, right? Like, they are just those people that you you just don't know. You know, when we do events or do any form of church event, we assume if we got signups, let's say we get 100 people that have signed up, if we have a good turnout, we'll have 75% of the people that signed up that will actually show up. That's like a rule of thumb. Seven, maybe eight out of 10 people, that is a good number, but, but often it's closer to 60 to 65%. And so when you're in that setting, and you want people to show up, it's usually because they're people you love. It's usually because those are people you want to have a relationship with. Usually because they're blood, right? They're family. You want them to be here or to be there. But regardless of who shows up, everyone who received that invitation it's showing them that, that, that they are valued and they are seen and that someone cherishes that relationship. And, and I think about this Good Friday, right? And we know, is it good? Is it bad? Why do we call it good? When it is good because it's a sign of God giving an invitation that he wants you to be at the party. He wants you to show up. The ball's in your court, but he shows in his life, in in the relationships that he had, that that he wants you to be there. And and, and I love what we've been talking about for the last month. If you haven't been here, we've been talking a lot about how Jesus loved the outcast. He had a deep, deep love for the person that was marginalized, for the person that was left out, for the person that's not recognized, for the person that that wasn't under the lights, for the person who maybe didn't have all the gifts in the world. He saw and he valued the person that was not seen. The person that was so ashamed of their sin, they, didn't, they thought the, the church would catch fire with them showing up. Have you guys ever thought that? Like, oh man, if I walk in there, man, I don't want to wreck their building. I don't want to wreck that like giant cool phoenix in the commons down there. You catch fire and I'm going to get kicked out. 
But Jesus loved and pursued the outcast. He saw them. He loved them. He didn't pronounce all this judgment and point his finger at them. He said, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're seen. This gives all of who desire to know Jesus and engagement in their faith with Jesus, it gives us all an invitation. And so I think about what we're gonna be talking about tonight, and yet again, it's another meal. It's a meal with Jesus, actually, it's that last meal with Jesus before he goes to his death on the cross, but this meal would change the world because he was doing something at this meal that the church would be doing till he returned. I don't know if you knew that, but it wasn't just, hey, I wanna be with my friends and I love you. He was actually starting a new covenant. And so in Luke 22, he's gathering with his, with his squad, right? With his disciples, and he's about to change things. And I know a lot of us, we didn't grow up in the Old Testament where thou shalt sacrifice a, a bird or a pigeon or, or a cow or an ox or a sheep, but, but he was changing even how they had their day-to-day their -day religion. And it all happened at this last meal. We see in Luke's gospel the big idea of this entire message, and it's this, that Jesus' meal is for everyone who belongs to him. It's for everyone. And he invested in those people. He showed those people that, that their lives were worthy of his life. And so in the soul food series, we have seen the importance of connection and specifically connection over a meal. And Sharon, I've been to the Hamlin pub already three times and I've been to Dimitri's and, and I've been to this delicious place called the Subway, Subway uh, or Mickey Donald's and, um, and, and I just, there's just something that happens over a meal when you see someone and they, you're like, oh, they eat with their mouth open. Like, come on, get some manners, you know? Or, or that person pounds like four or five refills of cherry Coke, right? It's like, yeah, bring another, yeah, bring, can I get one to go? You know, like that person, you just get to see someone in another light and, and in some ways be disturbed. But, but I think about that. And Jesus knew one of the greatest methods of connecting with people was with food. Food's a good thing, right? And so with this series, we, we've, been, we've been digging into that. And so I want to talk about the significance of this meal. I even have some up here. Uh, if you walked in here, you got a communion cup and you got that delicious cracker and... Um, <laughs> And we're gonna be taking this at the end. But if you've been a part of a church, if you've been a part of this church, uh, you've done this before. And sometimes we're like, wait, why do we do that again? Like, like what? okay, that represents this or that, but, but I wanna talk to you in depth about what this meant because it happened with the last meal that Jesus had before his death. And so let me ask a question. 
What is the personal significance of the Last Supper? You know, why does it matter in our life? Why do we take it? How is this supposed to help us as we pursue a relationship with Christ? And so I know it's Friday and, and, and some of us might be tired or, or we just had just a long week in general with our families or kids or whatever, but, but we're going to dig in tonight. We're not going to waste a night uh, to dig into God's word and, and talk about what that meant. And so we're going to talk about three specific ways that believers can interact with Jesus through communion. And the very first point we want to talk about is what I call preparation. Preparation specifically being ready to partake of the supper. You know, when we think about it, there's, there's some prep time. It, culturally, with, with this specific meal, it was the day of unleavened bread that started Passover, right? And so this was something that was happening at that time, but in a different way. There's so many more details, so many more specifics. And so I want to dig into Luke 22, specifically verse 7, and we're going to keep reading on. So let's jump into that. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, where will, we, uh, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. So again, Passover was no joke. Like this was not just a, hey, let's just make a turkey for Thanksgiving. There were many intricate details that people were to follow in order to be part of the Passover festivities. This, this meal required the proper amount of, of sheep or goat sacrifice, unleavened bread. There were specific bitter herbs that were used. It was just very important that the preparation was, was precise. And so when Jesus sends Peter and John out to prepare the Passover meal, he also gives them some very specific details and he gives them this, this almost vision of what they're gonna see. He says, hey, you're going to see someone carrying a jar of water. You're going to see a guy doing that. This is unique because typically women were the ones who were the carriers of water in this culture. So he said, hey, you're going to see this man. He's going to be carrying water, and you're going to follow him. And God was already going before them to prepare an area for them to share this meal. And, and we think about homes, and, you know, that person has a home that's perfect. It's, it's big. It's large. It's great for gathering. But, but again, this is ancient Israel. Like, who has a home in an upper room big enough for all these disciples? That, that's got to be a big room. It's a very specific room that they need to use. 
and it has to be furnished. And so God already went ahead with his own details to make sure that this was going to happen. And so they found the home, they had the perfect timing, God had prepared the person to allow them to use it, and, and it's something that is not um, something we should just skim over so quickly because homes were just so different. You know, I think about Amanda and I, and when we were looking for homes in Michigan, one thing we wanted to have was a nice-sized dining room. Because our, our last couple homes, we just didn't have a nice-sized dining room. We we're just like, man, we want to host more. We want to we have a dining room. We want to have a large table. Uh, we we want to have something that we don't feel like we're just shoved in a corner. So that quickly became a non-negotiable on our list. When we're looking for homes, some of us, we want those things. We want a big yard. We want, you know, enough bedrooms or bathrooms or a finished basement or walkout basement or on a lake, whatever it is. We wanted a dining room because we just knew the significance of this. Actually, I still remember our first uh, major purchase as a married couple. My wife talked me into spending all this money on this really nice dining room table and all the seats. She's like, we'll never, ever get rid of that table. We'll have it. It's our forever table. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. We gave it away when we moved here actually to a young couple that's getting married. And so we just, they're like, oh man, that's so amazing. We were able to give it to her as she starts her, her life and her marriage. But there's just something about gathering together. And, and Jesus, what's so interesting to me is, man, he loved his friends. Like sometimes we think of him as this, this professor who, who didn't connect or have, you know, really like sometimes we forget that, that Jesus loved these people. He loved them. They were his friends. There were people that wept with him, that fought for him, that cut off ears for him. They had a deep reverence for him as a leader, but they were actually his friends. And maybe we forget about that. Like, Jesus had friends. He had people he liked talking to. He wasn't just like, oh, my created beings are so annoying. They just don't get it. Like, yes, that happens sometimes. But I think that ultimately he, he loved and he wanted so deeply to have this meal with his friends. He desired it. And so when I think about this meal and, and the significance of it and Jesus' desire to have it, I wanna ask us all a question. And, and this is a hard question because everyone, we're gonna respond in different ways. Have you readied your heart for God to work in your life? Are you actively at that table with him, searching for him, searching in his word for direction and guidance? I think about Psalm 25, four. It says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for your God, my savior, my hope is in you all day long. Think about John 10, 27. My sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You know, pursuing God and listening for his voice is how believers can best be ready for God wants to show them. But we gotta have that table relationship with him. You know, sometimes I think about... Uh, 
You know, when I hear my kids in the other room, I, I can't really hear them clearly. You know, they're through the walls or I hear a scream or talking because they're, they're separate from me, right? I need to go around the room and see what they're fighting over on Minecraft or, or whatever, the poppets or spinners. And, and so I go to, to hear them. And, and sometimes we have a relationship with God where we're just in the other room. And sometimes we get a fuzzy uh, di- direct word or fuzzy um, statement from it. We just don't hear it because we're not at the table. Sometimes we gotta go through the, through the room, walk down the hall, and be at that table with him to really know what he has to say. These disciples, they're a bunch of teenagers. I always say that, you know, Jesus was a youth pastor. He was dealing with a bunch of teenagers, but ultimately when he says, my sheep, they hear my voice, they know me and they follow me, they had relationship with him. Sometimes we rag on them, but but they knew Jesus, they loved Jesus. And so I think about that, that first part of communion, it, it's, it's preparation, preparing our heart, asking the hard questions, looking back at our life. Man, have I been honoring God this week, this month? Is there anything in me that I need to just, I just need to get out? Is there a sin in my life that I just, I'm just okay with, I'm comfortable with? I got to get this out of here. And it's, it's something that we do beforehand to prepare for it, prepare for the time we take it. The second thing that we can, we can learn and glean from communion is what I call unification. And unification is being ready to partake together. So the first is being ready uh, to partake of the supper, but this is about now us together in, in unity. I love what it says in Luke 22. We're going to read 14 through 18. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table in the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So again, now they're reclining at this table. And I know I've said this before, but these tables, they're not normal size tables. They're maybe a foot, foot and a half off the ground. So they're actually like reclining. And so usually what they do is they, they recline with their feet away, and I think they're on their left arm, so their feet are pointing away, and then they use their right hand to actually eat the meal. And, and just to reiterate what I already said uh, before, I love this statement that Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this with you before I suffer. Again, here he's saying his heart, his intense desire for fellowship and celebration with them. But then he goes into verse 16 and he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So what is he saying there? What he's saying there is in this, in this moment of, of great emotion, that he's going to deliver the world. 
He's talking about what happens when he saves and delivers mankind. Because as this meal itself, it points to, del- to the deliverance that God's people experienced with Moses, right, in the Exodus. When God's hand, it passed over the Israelites and, and it struck the Egyptians. And then they were, they were freed to go into the wilderness. You guys have heard this story, right? And then they go to the sea and he parts the sea. Then the Egyptians go in the sea and then he brings the water down on them. And now they're finally free from those Egyptians. He delivered them from slavery. And now he's talking about, I'm going to deliver you from death. I'm going to come back. I'm going to return and I'm going to make all things new. The death, the cancer, the suicidal tendencies, the depression, the financial struggles, the the divorce, you name it, I'm coming back. You won't have to deal with it anymore. Sounds pretty good, right? No more will you have to deal with these things because I am going to deliver you. Jesus, in that moment, and, and I think about it, and, and you know, I can't think about his thoughts, but maybe he was, he was just focusing on that because he knew what he was doing. Reminding himself, this is why I'm doing it. This is why. He was thinking about the person in the bed at the hospital taking their last breath. He said, this is why I'm doing it. He was thinking about the young girl who grew up in an abusive home and was not seen. And he remembered why he marched to the cross. That's why. Because I want to deliver you and I want to deliver you. And so when we come together, we get to, to, as as a church, partake of this and know that, hey, he's coming back. He's returning. It's not done yet. Even on Good Friday, like he, he's still coming back. And we don't know. We don't know when. We got to be ready. And so this helps us be ready. It reminds us. I love the quote by Albert Einstein. He famously said, if you want to know the future, look to the past. This quote is often seen in the ebb and flow of cultural styles. Uh, It's funny because uh, style, I'm right at that age where things that were cool when I was in elementary school or middle school are now cool again. And I'm terrified that I've went through a cycle. Um, It's it's very terrifying. My my lovely mom is here today. And um, wow. They never clap for me, mom. And so we always used to joke about her style. Mom, I love you. And, um, and she would wear these vests and she had the nice uh, uh, vest pads and all this stuff. And, and now somehow, you know, we used to be like, mom, just go buy it. She's like, I just like the style, you know? And now it's like some of that stuff has come in style. I'm like, wow, she's styling, right? 
And, and so you, you'll see students and they'll be like going to their grandparents' house and rocking a 1972 Olympic jacket. Like, this is amazing, right? They got their granddad's clothes, right? And so, um, and so I think about that. I think about the cycle and, and there's so much truth with what Albert Einstein said. If you want to know the future, look to the past. And while Jesus didn't really care for creating cultural style, he did use the well-known practice of Passover to communicate the new covenant with his people. So he's taking this huge cultural centerpiece and he was using it to create something new. I'm gonna blow your mind here. When God's people gather around the table of communion, we are joining together with everyone in the past who is, who's followed God, present, in future. When we come together and we celebrate what Jesus has done and that he'll return, we are actually joining together with all believers that have ever lived. And we're all declaring that same thing. This is why we often refer to the Lord's Supper as a family meal, because it is the church practicing the union we have with our God and with each other. And that's something that I think we forget sometimes because yes, it is personal, but it is also communal. Yes, it is a, it's about us, but it's also like when we do this, we're, we're thinking about the churches in, in China. We're thinking about the churches in, in Africa. We're thinking about the churches in Mississippi. Like we're thinking of the churches in South America. Like we are declaring in our, in our own way, in our own culture, the exact same thing that Jesus saves and he's coming back. And so when, when I think about this and I think about how looking to the past and looking to the future, Jesus was really playing off the Passover to help communicate something that he was creating new, the new covenant in his blood. So that leads us to our third thing, which is what I call identification. Identification is being ready to partake of Jesus. And this is what it says in Luke 22. And he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus, he has bread and he has wine following the ritual order of the Passover. And he's doing this to bring into focus the union believers have with God through this new covenant. But the thing that's so dramatic, and I wish I, wish I could communicate this in a, in a way that would have more punch. But what was so drastic from the Jewish tradition here was this new vision Jesus was casting. He said, this is my body. This is my body. This is a clear break from the ritual ceremony of Passover. That was huge. In the unleavened bread, 
It, it symbolizes, right, the symbolism of Jesus' death as the Passover lamb. Jesus, here he's foreshadowing what he's going to do on the cross, and that's why you hear he's the bread of life, right? Sacrificial lamb. He's saying, guys, I am the lamb. I am the one. Passover, like everything points to me. And so in verse 20, it says, likewise, the cup, after they had eaten it, the cup, um, he was saying the cup that is poured out for you in the new covenant of my blood. Again, this is carrying tremendous meaning. It's my blood. It's my body. It's my blood. It's a new covenant. As he was gracious with you in Egypt to pass over you and free you, God is being gracious again with you, and it's through me. It's through my body and my blood. You don't need to slaughter a lamb and put the blood on your doorpost. I'm going to be the blood. I'm going to be the body. I'm going to be that. And so when he did this, he said, guys, and I want you to do this in remembrance of me. The simplicity and depth of this statement is captured through this statement. Let me, let me, let me share this quote. What is the Lord's Supper? Christ commanded all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst, bringing us into communion with God and with one another, feeding and nourishing our souls. It also anticipates the day when we will eat and drink with Christ in his Father's kingdom. And whenever the church invites believers to participate in the Lord's Supper, we are welcoming those who have and even will betray Jesus. Because we all have rejected him at some point of our life. Even Jesus at this meal was making this new covenant with the person that would betray him. I mean, that blows my mind that Judas was at the table. And, and we, we at times betray him too. And so God invites us still, even yet while we're sinners, to be at that table with him. Again, just bringing back that concept of God loves the outcast. Doesn't mean he wants us to continue in our sin, continue in transgression, continue walking down that path, but it means that, that he wants to see us saved from it, rescued from it, pulled back into the sheep's fold for you and me. You know, recently a man and I went on a date, which was awesome, being able to, to go out and just have some time for us, and we went to Outback. And the big reason we went to Outback is because uh, I believe the other restaurant had a three and a half hour wait, and so Outback did not have a wait. And um, <laughs> when we went there, and when you go to any sit-down restaurant, they, how, ma how many in your party? Um, and then you say, hey, it's two of us, a table of two, right? So with us, we had a table of two, not table of five, which was nice for a moment. 
And so I think about that. And before us is a table. And I want us to imagine Christ at the other side of that table. It's a place where we, we can just look him in the eyes and have a real conversation with him. It's a place where it's probably going to be a little uncomfortable. You know, because he knows you. He knows you better than, new, he, than you know you. You know, God, I, I did this. I'm so, Jesus, God, our Holy Spirit, who are you? You know, like, what do you say, right? Jesus, I'm, I've sinned. I forgave you before you were even born. You know, he sees what you're going to be. He sees your children, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. He sees your job change in six months, and he sees where the stock market's going to go. And you're like, whoa, here he is at the table with us. And I think about that. It should be a place of celebration because you're with your God. But it's a table for all. Maybe we've not been at the table with Christ. Maybe we've never given our life to him. And I want you to know there's a seat at the table for you. The spot open. And Jesus cannot wait for you to sit down with him. And I know we might have barriers in our heart or mind because of our things that we struggle with. But I want us to not let that shame and guilt consume us that we don't feel welcome at the table. Some of us, we're Christ followers and we still don't feel welcome at the table because we put our own shame and guilt on ourselves. We don't feel worthy. We do our highlight reel of things we're struggling with. Come back to the table. Jesus cannot wait to sit there with you. And so I want to share a quote by Randy Alcorn just to remember this Good Friday. He said, what is good about Good Friday? Why isn't it called Bad Friday? Because out of the appallingly bad came what was inexpressibly good. And the good trumps the bad. Because though the bad was temporary, the good was eternal. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.